Thank you, Mark. Well, before uh, we get into the Word this morning, we have uh, some announcements that we want to uh, go over with everybody, and these are important enough that we thought we'd put them uh, right before the sermon to make sure that we uh, catch everyone. Uh, First is that we are pleased to announce that we will be returning to a single-service format for our Sunday morning worship. Beginning September 12th, we will transition to our traditional schedule for Sunday mornings. That means Sunday school at 9.15 and one worship service at 10.30. And on that Sunday, we will also resume our children's church ministry for our four to eight-year-olds in the children's wing as well. We want to let everybody know that masks are welcome but not required uh, in all of our ministries beginning uh, this fall. Uh, We know that some families will want to take extra caution with large gatherings like our worship service. Uh, The front left and right sections of the auditorium in particular, we're going to encourage those to be areas where social distancing is still uh, encouraged. So if there are people sitting in these sections, please be considerate of others by maintaining at least a couple extra uh, chairs distance between households. Uh, We are obviously aware of the complexity surrounding uh, the COVID-19 conversation. It hasn't gotten any easier in recent months. We want to encourage love for one another and a willingness to extend grace to fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who may not be taking the same approach to COVID-19 as you. Uh, The leadership desires, our greatest desire, is to keep our ability to have our ministries be open and to continue gathering for worship. In order to do that, we we all need to do our part humbly and put others' interests before our own. This has always been our policy here at First Baptist Church, but we want to strongly encourage people that if you or your children are not feeling well, uh, if you're feeling sick, we, feel, uh, we ask that you would stay home uh, out of care and consideration for others in the church family. If you or anyone you know in your family has been exposed to COVID-19, we also ask that you would please quarantine and not attend activities until that quarantine period has ended. Live streaming will continue to be offered for the 10.30 a.m. service. Reminder, pay attention to that. That is a time change. We're going back to 10.30 and not 11. Um, And we understand that that is not a permanent replacement for meeting together. However, the live stream is a great service option when it's not possible to gather uh, with the church in person. Also, we're concerned about the, uh, if you are concerned about the risks of attending a a large gathering uh, due to COVID-19, please approach one of the pastors or the elders. We would love to do our best to help you to think through potential options to help mitigate those risks uh, and and to make it feel so that you can help you feel you can be part of this gathering of believers. We want to do all that we can to ensure that our people can gather together and worship our amazing God together. Amen? So uh, we are excited, and we hope that you are too. Uh, this means only preaching one service in the future weeks, uh, not three, which uh, we're, we're excited about. Uh, and that also means that Pastor Tim is close to coming back from sabbatical. There's no correlation between those two things. It's not, that is not how it was planned, but that is just how uh, things are going to work out. So next week we're in the park. Following that, we're back to that normal uh, service. Just also to highlight, Dan mentioned it briefly in, the, in, the, in his announcements, but Wednesday, October 6th is when we're beginning to launch our Wednesday evening ministries like Awana, Bible Institute classes and such. There are some uh, that we will be communicating by email because they will start uh, earlier Uh, and so be looking for that information. There's also one more specific area of information that I wanted to address before we dive into the Word this morning, and that is our adult small group Sunday schools. 
Uh, on Sunday, September 12th, our first Sunday back, we will briefly meet here in the auditorium uh, during that 9.15 uh, Sunday school hour to begin to uh, launch our Sunday school program for the fall. This is just for the adults. The, ch the kids will be down in the children's wing. Uh, we will talk about our vision for the Sunday school classes this year. We'll explain what each group is going to be studying uh, and give you an opportunity to hear what that might be uh, and to pray for a fruitful year together. And then we'll go to the gym for some light refreshments and there will be sign-ups so that you can uh, talk to the Sunday school small group leaders. Uh, if you're joining one of their classes, you can get materials if they have something to hand out uh, for you so that you can be ready to get going on the 19th when those start in earnest. So uh, just a reminder that we will be doing that on Sunday, June 19th to launch, or I'm sorry, Sunday, June 12th uh, to uh, explain the small groups and then launching on September 19th. Did I say June? I made it most of the way through. All right. All right. Now, before we go to the Lord, uh, I just want to take us back in prayer to help us focus our hearts and attention on, on our time spent in his word. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that you would now illuminate your word to us this morning. Father, help us to feast upon the deep truths that are there. And Father, help us to bring our lives in line with your word, in, in line with your word as you teach us, guide us, and direct us. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, open your Bibles with me now to Romans chapter 12. Uh, we will be looking at verses 1 through 13 together. Uh, as we spend time in the Word together, we're going to be wrapping up our series on discipleship that we've been looking at most of the summer. Uh, and I kind of have to apologize uh, up front here. Uh, it, it's been an interesting end to the summer with some time being taken out because of announcements. And I was gone for a week and, and Dan did a fantastic job filling in for me. But I kind of feel like I uh, have had to cram five weeks into these last four. Um, and, and so uh, my hope is that this morning we'll really be able to kind of wrap all of this up and, and help us to uh, really have a passion for discipleship in our local body. And so that brings me to this morning, and, and the question that we're going to be addressing this morning is, what drives us, what motivates us in this discipleship process? And to help us think this through, I want us to go back to our discipleship and action plan, the, the graphic that I showed early on in the, in the series. And and so we, we spent some time connecting the fact that, that the things that we know, God wants us to grow in those areas. It's so amazing to me how many times in Scripture we've seen that, that the things that God wants us to, 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 to learn and to know, He then tells us to apply uh, and, and put them in practice in our own lives, and then to serve others and to share that with others. We've seen some of that pattern throughout this summer. And, and I want us to, to remember that that's all part of this sanctification process. We're, we're, we're repeatedly kind of going around that circle, and, and God is using that in our own lives, and he's using it to, to reach out to others in our lives as well. We also discussed that this, this process is repeatable. Not only is it repeatable in my life, but it's repeatable by you and I finding faithful men and women who are willing to continue to teach these truths to others as well. And that's part of the, the process of, of discipleship that takes place in a local body of believers. As we're going around that circle, we're getting deeply, more deeply involved with discipleship, and God is using that to change us and to grow us. 
But now, I want us to imagine that our illustration is 3D. And instead of just seeing it going around the circle like this, it begins to look like a, an essentially a corrugated drain pipe. And if you take a, a marble and you put it in the slot of the top of the drain pipe, it's going to eventually start going around in a circle. But as it's going around in a circle, it's also going deeper. And that gives us an illustration of what I believe this discipleship process is supposed to look like in our lives. As we're continuing to be involved in that, we should also then be going deeper in our relationship with Christ in that process. So as we continue to learn or, or know, well then we should continue to apply and grow, and, and we should continue to use those things by serving, and we, could, we should continue to teach and share those things with others. And it takes us to a deeper level of maturity in our walks with Christ. Now, now, I say that because for me, I like having visual illustrations of how these things work. And, and, I, and I think this helps to describe the process that God wants to use in our lives, but more importantly, what he wants to do through our church. And so this morning, we're going to be dealing with the question of what's the motor? What's the, what's the thing that's driving going deeper and growing around and around in that circle. And I think we're going to see clearly in Scripture that it must be our commitment to Christ. And we express that commitment and love for Christ by our commitment and our love for the local body of believers. So let's go to Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, where it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers... By the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by, great, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have all the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophesy, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, and the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. If you are not familiar with Paul's writing style, he often breaks up his letters to the churches in two very distinct parts. The first part that he lays out for the, for the, the church is the theological or the doctrinal position. The reason why... So many things are true in our faith, the theological and doctrine position. And then, after he has laid that groundwork, that's where he gets practical, where he challenges his readers to live out the things that he has just taught them. In the, and in the book of Romans, that doctrinal portion of the letter is quite extensive. It's the first 11 chapters in the book of Romans. 
Paul spent 11 chapters laying the theological groundwork of God's great love for us by giving us salvation in Christ. And chapter 12 is the beginning of the practical, where the rubber meets the road, where we live out all that God has commanded us in those first 11 chapters. So the first thing I want us to see in this beautiful text is God's glorious salvation. Paul begins by saying, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Those first 11 chapters of this letter are a beautiful masterpiece, explaining all that Christ has accomplished for us on our behalf. In it, we see gems like, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. We see that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But yet we also see that God has demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we learn that now, therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Because if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We know that faith comes from hearing from hearing the word of God. There are so many beautiful, powerful truths about the gospel message for us in those first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. That that is why Paul starts out Romans 12 by saying, I appeal to you, therefore. In light of all that truth, in light of all that beautiful gospel truth that Christ died for us to redeem us, to save us, to call us into repentance, to give us eternal life, to give us the hope of eternal life, and and that we have Christ in us. In light of all of that, he reminds us then that as believers, we belong to the Lord. He starts out by saying, by the mercies of God, by the grace of God in your life, not because of your, your deserving merit, Not because you could possibly earn it, but by the mercies of God, because of all that Christ has done for you, all that he has already laid out for them, because of that, you belong to God. Paul wants us to to understand that our joy and fulfillment as believers now comes from that willing commitment to Christ because of all that he has done for us. We belong to God, and it it should be giving us great joy and fulfillment and completement in Christ. In light of what Jesus has done for us, we should now be willing to offer our bodies, soul, and spirit, everything that we have to him and to his service. And we should offer it without reservation and without hesitation, because he has shown us such great love. In a parallel passage to uh, the Corinthian church, Paul tells them, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. So we see this theme all through Scripture. Because of what Christ has done for us, now live for him. By the mercies of God in your life, present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, pleasing to God. God. That is our spiritual act of worship. You see, our worship of God calls us to live sacrificially for his kingdom. Sacrificially for his kingdom. 
As we briefly highlighted last week when we were looking at the book of Hebrews, because Jesus is our great high priest, he is, he is the perfect high priest that, that offers the perfect sacrifice for us and brings us into a right relationship with God the Father. Now in Christ, we are all part of that priesthood of believers. Everyone in Christ is a priest. And what is our responsibility? Well, then our responsibility is to live a life of sacrifice to him for all that he's done for us. That means that when we are in Christ as a, as a priesthood of believers, everything that we do in our daily lives, whether it's going to work, taking care of our children, sitting down at a meal with our family, talking to our coworkers, when we are living the, our lives in a sacrificial way for Christ, our life becomes a pleasing sacrifice for God the Father. 1 Peter 2, 5 and 9 kind of describes it this way. It says that the church is a holy priesthood. And our calling is to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. The church is a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are a royal priesthood that's supposed to live a life set apart of sacrificial worship to him. And that looks like us proclaiming the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness and into his glorious, marvelous light. But Paul tells us here that what that means is that means that we have to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable acceptable to God. This is our spiritual act of worship. Our spiritual act of worship is to live wholly committed, wholly devoted lives for Christ daily every day. As a disciple of Christ, we're supposed to live to accomplish his will and not ours. And the reality is, is that this is a challenge. This is a sacrifice. It will be costly. You see, we must understand that, that believers cannot effectively live for Christ while conforming to the world's standards. One of the sacrificial things that we must do is no longer conform to the pattern of this world. That is a sacrifice that we must make. Verse 2 says that that we must do that and be transformed by the renewal of our minds. Rather than conforming to the pattern of this world, we we must be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Scripture is clear. Light and darkness have nothing to do with one another. In this world is established against our Lord and Savior. And so we no longer conform and cave in to the ungodly patterns of this world. We live for the one who died for us instead. Living for self is no longer acceptable. Fighting for my kingdom is no longer our goal. Instead, we live for him and his kingdom. And this is a struggle for all of us. Every day, dying to self. Taking up our cross daily and following him. That's why we must be constantly transforming and renewing our minds. Our enemy wants to to win the battle of our minds with us. And he will use whatever he can to distract us or to confuse us. You see, God wants us to go to his word and then interpret everything that goes on in our world around us through the truth that we know of him. But the enemy says, no, no, take the world and force it into God's word. And understand God's word by what you see around you in the world. 
But we must understand that we renew our minds and we don't conform to the patterns of this world and we believe God's word because it is true. And that's how we renew our minds, by daily living in light of Scripture, studying it and applying it to our own lives, knowing and growing in the truth that he has showed us. And because of all that Jesus has done for us, our spiritual act of worship is not to conform to the ungodly world around us, but instead to live sacrificially for our King. Because he is worth it. Our second point I want us to see this morning is that our love for Christ necessitates our commitment to the body of Christ. As a believer in Christ, we no longer live for ourselves, but for Christ and his church. Beginning in verse 3, we see a connection between our individual worship and the body of Christ. Where it says, for by, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. You see, these verses transition into, into personal and practical. Paul is, Paul is reiterating to them that the sacrifice that we're called to make isn't, theolo- it isn't theological. It's not something just on the inside. The, the sacrifice that, that Paul is calling us to make is daily dying to ourselves and living this out. This isn't something that, that we can just theorize about. We have to put this into practice in our lives. And it also then transitions us to see that it's not just about me. This this is what living for Christ as a believer looks like. And we should find great joy and completeness and wholeness in, in living for Christ in this way. John MacArthur, as he's talking about this passage of of Scripture, he he talks about how important and vital this concept is. He says, The key to spiritual victory and true happiness is not in trying to get all we can from God, but in giving all that we are and have to Him. You see, as as believers, our, our greatest joy can be taking the giftedness that Christ has placed in us as His child and using it to build His kingdom. But all this flows from a humble heart, fully understanding who we are in Christ, thinking with clear judgment. And we serve our Savior. For grace given to me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but think with sober judgment. You see, in our world, when we see people with giftedness and they have talents and they have abilities, whether it's in the sports world or the academic world or the music world or whatever it may be, our natural tendency is to just shine that spotlight on their giftedness and say, aren't they great? But in the kingdom of God, our giftedness is given to us so that we can shine the light on on the church and on the gospel and what Christ has done for us and say, isn't God beautiful in this gift of salvation that he's given us? And isn't his church amazing? Giftedness is not for the individual. It's, It's for the body of Christ in general. And notice that Paul then kind of moves us from from knowledge to serving and sharing. And he commands us to do it in the context of the church. These things that you know, these gifts that you have, all that you've been given, now use it to bless my church, my body, the one that I died for. 
And he doesn't simply command us to live out our faith individually. He uses this familiar illustration of a body and its member or parts. And he says, but we, though many, are one body in Christ. And individually, members one of another. Our lives are knit together. And they should be knit so closely together that it's painful when you remove one from the rest of the body. That's what discipleship looks like in the local church. This is one of the ways that discipleship is so vital to the church. Because you and I are dependent upon one another to use the giftedness that we've given. In in that parallel passage in Corinthians, it, it says that the eye shouldn't say to the hand, I don't need you. The same concept is true here. We are desperately in need one of another because none of us can do it on our own. And yet God has called us and brought us together. We aren't intended to live our our faith apart from the local body of believers. Instead, we are called to be integrated as in one body made up of many members. We are one with one another. And disciple means that we're using the giftedness that God's given us to build up one another and the church. Theologian R.H. Munsey says it this way. He says this, The Christian faith is essentially a corporate experience. Although each member has come to faith by a separate and individual act of faith, the believing community lives out its Christian experience in fellowship with one another. John Donne's No Man is an Island is, a, is, true, is true of the church of Jesus Christ. Lone Ranger Christianity is a contradiction of terms. Inherent in the gifting that God has given to us is that we are going to use that gifting to bless others and to serve his church. And yes, we are all personally responsible for our own faith and walk in Christ. We, we must daily be renewing our own minds so that we're ready and prepared for that battle. But we don't live our faith out on our own. It's the beauty and the challenge of the local body. And God has called us to do this together. In the body of Christ, we need one another. I need you to be iron that sharpens iron. And you need me to be iron that sharpens iron. And the beauty of it is, is that we're actually supposed to be different. Too often times we're, we're arguing about our differences. But the reality is, is that we're actually supposed to be different. We're different members. We have different experiences. God has used different things to disciple me and to grow me in my walk with Christ than he has for you. But the beauty is that at the end of verse 6, he says, all that giftedness that you have, all that individuality that you have, all those differences, let us use them. These different gifts should be used so that God is exalted and glorified when each member is doing their part. And that's also beautiful as God knits our hearts and lives together. As a body of Christ, we can do things that as individuals we couldn't do. And that's God's design. And it's God's blessing when that happens. And that should bring us close to one another. You see, because in Christ, our individual gifts must be used to build up others in the church. Our individual gifts must be used to build up the church and others. We, we can't say it enough. 
When, but when we're looking at a passage of Scripture like this, many times people like to get into some of the nuances, and they like to talk about, well, is this an exhaustive list of all the spiritual gifts? And Are there 13, or are there 21, or are there 75? Or, or maybe there's other gifts that aren't really listed. And th- Those are all good things. I'm not saying we shouldn't ever talk about and, and consider some of those things. Those can be very helpful and beneficial. But if all you're looking for is nuances in the Scripture to argue about, You're missing the point. The point is that God has given you giftedness, and he wants you to use it to build his church and to serve others. That's what we need to understand and to focus on. Instead of focusing on all those little things that we might want to debate about, and uh, we need to focus on what has God gifted me to do so that I can bless and build his church. And I I want us to see that, that... that in this passage of Scripture, as well as the one in 1 Corinthians, that all of the gifts that are listed are for the service of others in the building up of Christ's church. Serving and teaching and exhorting and giving and leading and showing mercy. All of those are used to build up others, to disciple believers, not to build up ourselves. Our next point this morning that I want us to focus on is that a life truly changed by Christ must look different from the world. It must be a life characterized by love. In Christ, everything about us should be different than the world around us. This takes us all the way back to the beginning of our passage of Scripture. This harkens us all the way back to not conforming to the pattern of this world. And and for these original hearers, when they hear verse 9 through 13, it's probably fairly shocking for them. Because in their culture, love was not a character quality that was esteemed and valued very highly. So when they hear these words, they were probably a little caught off guard. And, you know, let's be honest. I'm sure some of you are looking at your text and you're like, well, well, this is a different section, Chad. Remember, those section headings are not in the original text. And I really believe that, that this is, should all be one passage of Scripture joined together. And, and it's now now. Paul lays out this text talking about love. And he says in verse 9, Let love be genuine. Abhor, hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. Love is, love is the constant motivation for us as we desire to use these, gifted, these gifts that God has given us. As we desire to pursue the giftedness that, that, that Christ has put in us, love must be the overarching theme that dominates that giftedness. It's the overarching characteristic of a believer, and it should be lived out in the local body. Much like when Paul discusses Love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If we understand that passage of Scripture correctly, we understand that 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 love chapter is in the context of spiritual giftedness. And what does he tell them in 1 Corinthians 13? The greatest gift is love. Love must be the compelling motivation for the use of all that Christ has enabled us, the gifting that he has given us. And it should be part of our lives as believer. It must be the motor that drives our discipleship. 
It must be the, the propeller that moves us forward. If not, there's no way that we'll be able to love, especially when it's hard. And you and I as believers in Christ are called to love, especially when it's hard. It's easy to love those who love us. It's easy for us to, to do good to those who do good to us. Now, at first glance, this passage of Scripture might look like Paul's taking a shotgun here and just kind of blasting out a whole bunch of thoughts for us. But I think a closer look helps us to see that, that love is the connective tissue in this passage of Scripture. It's the sinew that holds these joints together. As it's talking about this body illustration, love is the, the glue that binds all of it together. And we must cling to and fight for our love for Christ and our love for others. And as I said, love is not a characteristic that was esteemed highly in the Greek culture. So it wouldn't have been a motivation for them. This would have been not conforming to the pattern of the world in their lives. Because this would have been a foreign concept to them. So, so when we're, we're called to love, what we're called to here is the agape, self-sacrificial love that Christ himself demonstrated for us. And that was completely foreign. And it's completely unheard of. But when life gets hard, we're told then that that's why that kind of love helps us to cling to what is good. To outdo one another in showing that kind of love. To not be slothful and lazy in the way that we love. That we have to be patient in tribulation and show loving hospitality. That's what our love should look like. That is self-sacrificial agape love. And it's only possible through the power of the Holy Spirit being at work in our lives. The kind of love that's being described is impossible to do on our own. We can't buck up and decide that we're going to do it on our own. Because agape love centers on the welfare and the needs of someone else. And it will pay whatever the personal price is necessary to meet those needs. God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's agape love. And that's the kind of love we should be, com we should be compelled and motivated to share with others in the church and in the world around us. Because an outpouring of agape love is what God showed us. And so we show it to others. But that's not the only kind of love that's, that's talked about in this passage of Scripture either. We also see the genuine brotherly love, or the phileo love of Scripture here. And, and that cements, this, this brotherly love cements the familial bonds that this whole passage is also teaching us. We've talked at length throughout the summer of, of what some of those family bonds and how important they are. The, the love of a family should be deep and rooted you see, the body of Christ, although made up of different members with different gifts, must love one another with genuine brotherly love because we are family. And, and so what does that mean? I, I think of, of, of the prodigal son. And I know that there are probably many who have, who have had sons or daughters who have been prodigals. And, and, and what does a, a parent of a prodigal cling to? What does their family, their deep brotherly love connection lead them to do? Well, it helps them to be patient. Understanding that, that they're hopeful that someday God's grace will break into that prodigal's life and, and call them back into repentance. They're always hopeful. 
And they know that as long as their son or daughter, even though they are walked, have walked away from the Lord, they are hopeful that God, in His infinite grace and mercy, can call them back. They don't lose hope. And that's part of our, our brotherly love, is that we have that kind of hope for one another. That even if we have failed one another, family still sticks together, thick and thin. We extend grace to one another. We outdo one another in love. That's the kind of family love that we're supposed to have for one another. Because we're family, we also then invest in one another's lives. Discipling and building up one another. Standing in the gap when some are hurting. Coming alongside and serving together. Getting down in the trenches and doing the hard things. Welcoming one another in our homes in hospitality. Welcoming one another into our lives in hospitality. That's what the brotherly love, the family love, is also supposed to look like in the local church. And realizing that our love for Jesus and our love for his church must then be the compelling factor to be the motor that drives us to do these things. It's not going to be easy. Discipleship can be messy. Being involved in one another's lives is hard. But family's worth it. Agape, self-sacrificial love, compels us. That is the motor that motivates us to go deep in this process of discipleship with one another. It isn't easy, but it's always worth it. I've talked a couple times this summer about all that we've lost in the past year and a half. My hope is that in this next year, in the calendar year of 2021 to 2022, that God will use this church and discipleship ministries as we're coming alongside of one another. That he will use that to grow us, to be a huge blessing to one another. To take us deeper in our walks with Christ. To take us deeper in our discipleship relationships one with another. That he'll use that to bring more people into his kingdom and in his church. But, for that to happen, we need to look for opportunities to get involved in that discipleship process. If you want to be blessed, jump in to, to God's church and get involved. Find ways that you can use the giftedness that He has given you to bless His body and be a blessing to others. God will use our faithfulness and obedience to call us to grow in ways that we can't imagine today. But that only happens if we will be motivated by our love for Jesus and our love for others and get involved. Find somebody to meet with. Find a ministry to join. Find a discipleship relationship that is where you're both learning and growing in your walks with Christ. Get involved using our gifts to make disciples and build his church. That's what God's called us to do as individuals, members one with another as his local body. Let's pray together. Father, what a joy and a privilege we have to be called your sons and daughters. Oh, that you have done everything necessary to accomplish our salvation in Christ is so amazing. May your love for us motivate us to die to self, 
to not conform to the pattern of the world around us, but to be transformed by your word and to live for you. Father, I pray that in this next year that you would use many in this church to disciple and deepen the faith of others, including myself. Father, that we would be looking for ways to be involved to build your church. Thank you that you have gifted us and called us into ministry. We know that we can't do it on our own, but we are dependent upon you. And we are anxiously waiting for all that you will accomplish in and through us so that you might receive the praise that you deserve. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.